said, let's pray and uh, we'll start. So dear Lord, we thank you for the time that we can spend together. We thank you for who you are and the fact that you want to talk to us, Lord. We thank you that you promise that wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you're there in the midst, Lord. So we want to hear from you. We want our hearts and our minds to be uh, touched and, and to, to um, be transformed by you, Lord, and to follow you in everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I don't know about you guys, but um, one thing that <clears throat> I constantly battle is I'll read the Old Testament um, in the Bible and I'll be like, what the heck does this have to do with anything in my life? What, how does it relate to me? Um, does it relate to me? Should I be reading it at all? Some, some Christians out there say, forget it, just read the New Testament. Um, I don't agree with that. And I hope none of you guys agree with that either. Um, but <clears throat> there are some very strange things in this book that we call the Bible, um, and particularly in the Old Testament, which was written... Back. Sorry, is Lydia in here? Yes. 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 If you see Alec, first the lady. Alec, first the lady. Sorry, I'm telling you. It's okay. It's okay. I live on She's not serving me on the door. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I will edit that out now. Okay, so, um, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of strange things that we read in the Old Testament that's like, what does this have to do with anything? And, you know, it's pretty normal to feel that way because it was written about, you know, six to 10,000 years ago and uh, the, the things that are in it have been practiced for millennia. So, like, what is it on about? And so one of the things that we're going, we're going to look at one of those things that's in the Old Testament um, that is carried through to the New Testament that um, would make us scratch our heads. And that is the thing that we call or that they call the Sabbath. Um, and we'll get, we'll get to that in a second. But first I want to, I want to uh, share something with you guys. So this, hello, welcome back. Quick <laughs> us. Um, so um, I want to share something with you guys. So my uh, uncle a couple of days ago passed away, um, and it's 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 something that's very um, uh, I don't know. It's it's a confronting thing when someone's life ends, particularly when you think it ends prematurely, um, and all of a sudden when someone is gone, all of a sudden you start to think about who they were and what their life meant, um, and it becomes something that you try to like search for legacy, you try to search for meaning, you try to search for, um, I guess, the core of who they were and, and to kind of represent that somehow and celebrate it somehow. And I've been learning about him more and more over the past couple of days as I uh, speak to my dad, who, who was his brother. And, you know, it's funny because when you hear some stories, the way it's represented, uh, the way he's represented is that he was... Uh, very successful man and he did this and this and this and he achieved this and this and this and and then other other people that you'll talk to they'll talk about other things you know he was a loving person he was someone that poured himself out you know and you hear so everyone has their own kind of slant or perspective or view of what's important what what's important about that person what made them them um, what made them unique and I think we do the same thing with our own lives and with the world around us. We look at the world and we think, this is what's important. My job, my future job, my studies, my, uh, my whatever, my ministry, my relationship or relationships, uh, the person I'm going to marry, the children I'm going to have, like whatever it is, it kind of becomes 
the thing that we live for, our kind of calling and, and part of our identity. And sometimes we miss the mark of reality. Sometimes we look at the world and ourselves and we have a, ske- a skewed perspective of what reality looks like. And the Bible, I, I believe, one of its key and most important um, purposes for existing as God's word to us human beings is to show us how we skew reality. Um, and it's to show us what real reality looks like. Um, because the author of this world and the author of every single one of our lives, he has his perspective on you and your reality. And his perspective should trump and dominate and kind of be the main perspective that we have for our lives. And so that is what we're going to talk about tonight when we talk about the Sabbath, is what it looks like to see the world like God sees the world, to see our lives the way that God sees our lives. Because the practice of the Sabbath, its central thing is how you view the world and how you view yourself in the world. So... With that said, um, let's have a look at uh, a passage in the book of Isaiah, chapter 56. Now, again, you know, when people think of the Sabbath, they think it's a Jewish thing. You know, every Saturday they they have a day where they call it the Sabbath and it's like their weekend holiday kind of thing. Um, But uh, no, the Jewish people didn't view it that way themselves. This is the prophet Isaiah talking in chapter 56, verses 1 to 8. It says that this is God, Isaiah is prophesying what God is saying. and, And God says, Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who chooses what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them beside those already gathered. So this is a passage where Isaiah has this prophetic vision of what it looks like to be incorporated as part of the people of God. You belong to God. This is what it looks like. It looks like upholding and maintaining justice. It looks like uh, serving and helping others and bringing people in. And he constantly refers to the people who follow God, including the people outside, i.e. the foreigners and the eunuchs. Uh, eunuchs were not a thing in Israel. Eunuchs, for those of you who don't know, are people who have lost their uh, uh, reproductive organs. And so they, that, that was not a practice that Israelites 
did. And so these were foreigners who were mutilated essentially by their, their own country of origin for different purposes and reasons. And so these people, including other foreigners, God says, if you keep my Sabbath, if you uphold my purposes and my intents for your life and for, for those around you, then you are my people. You are included. You belong to me. You're part of, of my, my people. So therefore, I guess the question that we should ask when we read something like this is, what is the Sabbath then? Like, because if it was just a day off a week, if it was just a Saturday that we had off, like, all right, cool, sign me up. I'll have, well, I'll have two days off. Why not? One of them is a Saturday anyway. So that makes it, no, it's more than just having a day off. So that's what we're going to explore. Um, so what does the word mean? Sabbath uh, or Shabbat in Hebrew, it means literally to cease from labor, uh, to cease from your work or to, to rest. Um, again, like what does that mean? Like how does that make you therefore someone who is, belongs to God and how, why is that so important? Well, the first time that this word is mentioned is at the very beginning of the Bible. Um, and we're going to do something. You ready? We're going to read Genesis chapter 1 and the, the beginning of chapter 2, so the creation story. And I want you to maybe close your eyes, maybe just, uh, I don't know, whatever makes you concentrate the most. If it's following it along, follow, follow it along. But just really concentrate. So we're going to... Okay, she's here. What up? Good. Alright, so, um, yeah, so let's read Genesis chapter 1, the beginning of the creation story, and let's have a look at, uh, I want you just to really listen to it, and I'm going to ask you guys what you pick up from it. Okay, as we, as we hear it together. We're going to just read it in one big chunk. You ready? I hope this doesn't put anyone to sleep. All right, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and was void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night um, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth 
to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water swarmers, uh, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters in the sea and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds livestock and creeping things and the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens and the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast on the earth, to every bird in the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested, Shabbat, on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. What did you see? What did you notice as it pertains to the Sabbath, to Shabbat, to rest? No wrong answers. I was following creation. Like he did something the rest of the time? 100%. Yes. It was a culmination It was the end of his labor and his labor was a creative work out of the chaos that that was the world beforehand. Out of the chaos, God brought order. And that is his job. His job is to bring order out of chaos, beauty out of darkness and and wastelands, Um, life out of a place that is barren and has no life. That is who God is. And after he does these things, he rests. He ceases. He stops. Um, and that's a weird thing to consider. Does that mean God needs to rest? No, I, I don't think so. I don't think that this is what this story is trying to tell us. In fact, if you look at it really closely, what it says is that he finished his work in verse uh, um, uh, 1. It says, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. But in verse 2 of chapter 2, it says, on the seventh day, God finished his work. So he finished, apparently, but then on the seventh day, he finished, and only after it says that he finished his work he, when he rested. Part of God's creative work was stopping, was ceasing, was resting, was handing it over to his creation to provide this world that had this creative potential, this beauty, and saying to the humanity that was there that he already created and that he already ordained and gave them blessing and ministry. And he said to them, go on, it's yours now. And he ceased. 
he's, he rested from his work. But it's all, what, what do you do? So to rest, you need to work, right? But to rest also means that you're recharging for more work, no? Yeah? So the idea here is that this is a partnership between God and humanity. It is the pause, the rest between before the next round of beauty and creation, um, this time with, with a set of partners alongside him. And did you also uh, notice that there was no beginning or end to the seventh day? Or, well, there was a beginning, obviously, but there was no end to the seventh day. The seventh day had no end. It is. It is. This is the ideal. This, when you think of heaven, this is what the biblical authors want, to, want you to think about, is this place of communion and community with God and with creation to bring about more beauty and more uh, um, potential um, for the sake of his glory and for the sake of uh, the benefit of all those around and all creation. This is what heaven and, and Eden looks like. This is the ideal of the seventh day rest. This is the ideal of Sabbath. This is the vision that whenever you see the word Sabbath come up again in the Bible, this is what you're supposed to think about. Is God resting on the seventh day in this beautiful world that he just made for his creation to, to join together with him. And it's not just supposed to be, this story is not just supposed to be a reminder of what was and what we lost um, and what we're trying to like kind of do now, but it's supposed to be a future hope. It's supposed to be something that points forward and we say, one day God will redeem. Because if you read further on in this story in just a few short pages, you will see that God sets in motion a plan to bring about the seventh day of rest again to bring about this ability to, to have community with his creation and to bring about more potent, beautiful, creative potential to this world that he made. So that's the, that's the ideal. And then as the story goes on, we rebel. We decide, I don't want to partner with God. I don't want to... What he thinks is good is not what I think is good. I'd rather rule this place on my own. And so Adam and Eve take the fruit. They, they break uh, trust with God. They, they disobey him. And the relationship is fractured. Humanity spirals out of control in this uh, literally opposite of Eden-like uh, uh, potential where instead of beauty and, and creative order, there's destruction and violence and death. Um, and then eventually we get to the, the family of Abraham who God chooses specifically to draw back in and to say, hey, through you, through your family, I'm going to bring about Sabbath again. I'm going to bring about Eden again. And then something uh, happens where they get enslaved in Egypt and then they get liberated from Egypt. And then we read uh, the, the, this passage. So they've just been set free. The Israelites, the, the family of Abraham, after a few hundred years of slavery, they've been set free um, and they've crossed the Red Sea. You know, the Red Sea parted and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they're literally a few days into their journey. You know what happens? <clears throat> they look around them. And they see that they're in the desert. They're in the wilderness. They're as far from Eden as they could have imagined. They thought they were going to get liberated to something like Eden again, paradise again, you know. But no, they're as far from that as they can imagine. And they just see wilderness all around them. And they're like, oh my goodness, we're going to die. We're going to die. We have no food. There's just desert in front of us. There's millions of us. We're going to die. And they start to grumble and, and moan against Moses and Aaron. And then God says, settle down. 
I will provide for you. And he tells them that he's going to provide uh, uh, bread and, um, and uh, 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 birds to eat. And uh, this bread is what we now know as manna, right? Um, and this is the next time we hear about Sabbath as like a concrete concept. And that's in Exodus chapter 16. Check it out with me, verses 21 to 30. Each morning, so they've just seen the manna, right? And, uh, and, and so there it is. And so verse 21, each morning, everyone gathered as much manna as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much. Two omers, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a day of ceasing of your labor and rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. And this is before the Ten Commandments, by the way. Um, so bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save what is, what is, whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it didn't stink or get maggots in it because Previously, if they held on to the manna beforehand, it would rot away because Moses said, only gather what you need, don't take more. But on the sixth day, they can gather as much as they want. They can gather a double portion and it will not uh, go moldy or rotten. Um, And um, uh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so they saved until morning and it didn't stink or get maggots in it. And verse 25, eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You'll not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you're to gather it. But on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one's to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. Weird story. What's it trying to say here? Essentially, in a nutshell, it's trying to tell us that this, this God who rested on the seventh day, this God who created uh, a paradise, um, this is the same God who is providing for his people in the wilderness. It looks like it's the wilderness to you. That's your assumption. That's your perspective. But to God, he is providing for you and he's creating little pockets of Eden wherever you are because you're his. And in these places, he says, trust me. He says, I'm going to provide for you, but you need to trust me. Only take what you need. And then on the day that I've given you to rest, rest. You don't need to stress. Have enough and you will have what you need. But people, you see, these people, they were slaves. And a slave mentality is, is essentially all our mentality. Like the, I think this is the world's mentality, which is there's not enough for me. There's not enough for everyone around me. So I'm going to take what I need for myself and for the people that I care about and screw everyone else. And this mentality is a desperate mentality. It's a mentality that is destructive and that um, is... What looks like it's the wilderness. We see the wilderness around us. But God challenges us and says, no, you're not slaves anymore. You've been set free. You might be out in the middle of the wilderness and I'm taking you on this journey, but trust me, I'll create little pockets of Eden for you. I'll provide for you. Trust me. Depend on me. Don't have this desperate mentality and make others suffer or make yourself suffer as a result. Rest. Cease. Know that I am God. Um, let me provide for you and trust me. Because um, you can't manufacture 
plenty. You can't manufacture uh, uh, um, whatever you think it means to be successful. You can't manufacture it. You can try your hardest to achieve what you think it looks like in your life, but eventually, if you do it without God, you're still in the desert. You have nothing around you. So depend on Him, lean on Him, let Him provide for you what it means to, 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 to have what you need and then rest in that. Yeah? Um, and then we get four chapters later, Exodus chapter 20, we get the Ten Commandments. And the fourth commandment out of those ten is, guess what? Keep the Sabbath. All right? And uh, I'm going to read it for you. You don't have to open it up. And I'm sorry if I'm putting you to sleep, but uh, I told you we'd be digging into the Old Testament. So apologies. So Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 12. This is God saying uh, the commandment. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. And as we've talked about before in the past, what does holiness mean? It means to set apart, to, to make it separate and to make it special. Um, Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. Uh, On it you shall do no work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner or the stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Because you know what? Do you know who needs to rest? The stress heads are people who think that they need to do things to live. How many of you, when, a, when an exam is coming up, you just get this like panic attack? Um, it's like, oh my, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Have Sabbath. Rest. Doesn't mean don't work because clearly they're collecting, you know, they're still collecting the manner and all this kind of stuff. Doesn't mean don't work, but it means chill out. Rest. Rest. How many of you think if I don't get the job that I'm supposed to get, I'm going to be a failure and everyone's going to think I'm a failure. I'm not going to whatever. Chill out. Rest. How many of you think that if I don't get married by this age or I don't have kids by this age or I don't blow up, I'm going to be, uh, you know, whatever. I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life or whatever else. Chill out. Rest. Take a Sabbath. Maybe that could be a new slang. Take a Sabbath. Um, Like, relax. Why? Because God rested. He set this pattern up for you. He made the heavens and the earth. He, he's the one that you belong to. So he rested. He, told, he taught you how to do it. He taught you that it's an important part of your rhythm. He taught you that this is part of what it looks like to be in paradise. So do it. Do it knowing that he, he's got you. He provides for you. He knows what you need. He'll provide the manna. He'll get you to where you need to go. So don't do any work. Relax. Rest. And then, interestingly, do you know, I'm not sure if you guys know this, do you know that the Ten Commandments aren't just written once in the Bible? They're written twice. In the book of Deuteronomy, which literally means like repetition. So it's fitting. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, if you read uh, this, pick up what's different. You ready? Have a look. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12 to 15. This is again the the Sabbath commandment. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, your ox, your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. What's different? 
It's not a trick question. It's different. Well, this is like a different time. Right? So yeah. this is after they've been... Correct. It's repeated. Yeah. yeah. So it's repeated uh, as they're about to enter the, um, the, the promised land. Yeah. But what's different about the contents of the speech here? It's the reason. The reason God gives to keep the Sabbath. The first reason in Exodus 20, just after they've been set free, he says, the reason you're to keep the Sabbath is because I rested when I created the world. So you follow my example and you, you, you chill out. This reason is I set you free. I set you free from slavery. And so therefore, you rest and you make sure that you make everyone around you rest. You don't put your slaves to work while you rest. You make sure everyone around you rests. Because you know who needs, who needs rest? It's the people who are oppressed. It's the people who are hard done by and subjugated and pushed down in this world. It's the people who literally have no ability to rest because if they think that they will rest, it's like they're treading water and they stop treading water and they're going to drown. These are the people who need rest. And God here says, don't just rest because you need you need to like take a chill pill and know that I got it in, under control and to recognize that, you know, I am the one perpetuating everything and like, trust me. But no, he's also saying rest because you need to not oppress each other. You need to make sure that those among you who are oppressed and if you're feeling oppressed, you need to find rest in him. This is the Sabbath. And this is what it looks like. So if, if we're talking about Genesis and we're talking about the Sabbath ideal, right? The ideal situation in the Garden of Eden, the perfect of perfect scenarios. And then we're looking at this situation. This is what it looks like to have Sabbath, uh, to put it in Solomon's terms, under the sun. Sabbath outside of the Garden of Eden. Sabbath in a broken world. In a world that is not the way that God intended it to be. In a world that's uh, separated from him and that, and that suffers and cries out to him. This is what Sabbath looks like. It looks like depend on him because he's got you and take care of each other and make sure that the oppressed have relief. And that is the Sabbath, right? Um, all right. Okay. This next part, forgive me in advance. All right. Um, because you see, Leviticus. And those of you who know your Bible, when you say Leviticus or Numbers, you're like automatically like, yeah, leave me alone. Um, but, uh, but I just want to point out a couple of, couple of things. So, okay, if you haven't noticed so far, seven is a very important number. Okay, uh, seven days, on the seventh day he rested. There are literally, like, up until, we've skipped a whole bunch of stuff. We could have gone deeper, so praise God. Um, but, uh, but yeah, seven is a very important number. And um, uh, so much so that uh, the Israelites kind of got obsessed with the number seven. And they built it in to literally every facet of their life. Because you see, every week, obviously, uh, there was the Sabbath day, the one day. But they would have what we would call now as cycles of Sabbaths. So, in other words, it's not just every week you would have a day to celebrate. No, no. Every year you'd have seven celebrations, seven festivals um, that are designed to mimic the Sabbath and that usually start or end on a Sabbath. Um, and every, uh, let's have a, before I move on, uh, let's have a look at these uh, seven. So you know most of them, I would hope. So the Passover, the event that kicked it all off for this, that's one. And, and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's another. That's, 
they're usually counted as the same thing, but they are actually kind of written as, as separate. Uh, the, the Feast of the First Fruits, so after the Passover, um, uh, they, they celebrate the beginning of the harvest, and so that's called the Feast of Fruits. Um, the Feast of Weeks, which later becomes Pentecost, or, or is known as Pentecost in the Greek, so that is... Interestingly, if you want to know some Bible trivia, seven weeks times by seven weeks, yeah, seven weeks times by seven weeks after uh, uh, after um, the Passover. So, uh, like forty nine days after Passover um, is Pentecost, and uh, so yeah, Jesus died around Passover. Forty nine days or fifty days later, Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes, right? The Feast of Weeks. Um, and also, this is uh, what the, the Jewish people recognize as the day that God gave Moses the law, the, the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Feast of Trumpets. This was on the seventh month of the year, and this would mark their new year. So sounds stupid, like it's the seventh month, but no, that was the beginning of their new year. Um, the Day of Atonement. It was on the tenth day of the seventh month, uh, Ten, what does 10 remind you of? Ten Commandments. So 10 days of the seventh month after you've just celebrated your new year is the atonement, um, the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement, if you don't know, is the day where they would bring out a, a ram and they would declare all the sins of the people on this and sacrifice this ram for the sake of all the people to be uh, made holy and, and to have all their sins wiped out in front of God so that they would like reset uh, the clock in terms of their sins. Um, and then the Feast of Tabernacles, which was on the 15th day of the seventh month, which lasted for seven days. And this feast was this, uh, where God would command them, go out and camp. Literally, this is the celebration. Go out and camp. Make uh, tents using beautiful fruit trees uh, that were planted by water. Um, and go out and camp in those trees and uh, celebrate with each other. And it was supposed to recall two things in your mind. One was Eden, because the fruit trees by, by the rivers and like this beautiful environment and camping out under that environment. But also it was supposed to remind you of the journey through the wilderness and the tabernacle uh, called uh, the, the Feast... Sorry, did I say the Feast of... Uh, did I say the Feast of Tabernacles? Yeah, yeah okay, cool. So yeah, it's supposed to remind you of camping out and, uh, and being within God's house in the wilderness uh, over the course of their journey. So those are the seven feasts. So not just are you dealing with like one day a week that you're remembering God and relying on him, depending on him and, uh, and kind of ceasing from your, your labor and resting. But you're also having this pattern each year where there's seven, seven things that are supposed to remind you of this Sabbath kind of um, a mentality. But then not only that, each decade, every seven years. Um, they would have this thing called uh, the Sabbath year, which was literally a whole year where you know what they would do? They wouldn't do any work at all for that whole year. So you're a farmer, it's like an agricultural society. Um, You would not do, you would not plant new things and do all this stuff. You would leave it alone. Let the land rest. God is even cares for the land itself, not just people and animals, but the land itself. And he says, let it rest. And he says, don't worry, I got you a whole year. I'll provide for you. The land will produce. I I got you. Just let the land rest. Practice this. So this idea of like having faith upon faith and leaning into God, the wilderness that's in front of your eyes, relax, lean on him, rest. Um, And then seven times seven years, um, there would come this other celebration that they would celebrate. And that was called the year of Jubilee 
where every 50 years, so 49, you know, 7 times 7, on the 50th year, the beginning of the 50th year, they would do this thing called the Jubilee. And I'll read, this is uh, beyond amazing. Check this out. Uh, Leviticus chapter 25, verses 8 to 13. You should count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of, seven, of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the seventh month, which is the beginning of their new year, which is the, the day of atonement. Um, or that, that would be the beginning of the new year for that year. Uh, um, on the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. That 50th year shall, you, shall be a jubilee for you. In it, you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines. In other words, same thing as the other seven years, the, you know, the, the Sabbath year, where you wouldn't plant and do anything that the land will produce for you. Um, but not only that, if you make a sale your neighbor, from, uh, to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. If your brother becomes poor, it, bottom line is, I won't read it all, but check it out, Leviticus chapter 25. Essentially, what the law is and what this year of Jubilee is, if you're in debt, your debt is cancelled. If you're a slave, you're free. If you are bound to someone else or you lost your property because of a bad harvest year or whatever else, that all comes back to you. Everything that the world and the wilderness and da 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 da, da took from you is restored to you. It's a complete reset um, of that, 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 that whole year. And I wonder... I wonder if we had these rhythms in our life, if we knew, if we were people who lived into this Sabbath ideal, what kind of life would that live? If you knew that all the money you saved, especially if it was at the expense of another person, you cheated someone, you gave them a bad deal, whatever else. If you knew that all that money had to go back to that person at the end of uh, 50 years, um, would you do it? If you knew that... um, uh, I don't know if you knew that your property and everything like that and, you know, your portfolio was going to really amount to nothing because at the end of the day, it's about equal distribution and providing to the poor and the needy, especially on that 50th year. Would you work so hard and be so consumed by getting wealth for yourself and trying to like climb this ladder that you've made for yourself? What would it do to your perspective? And the sad thing is, do you know how many times the Jubilee happened in the Bible? It's never recorded. It's never recorded. Throughout the whole Bible, it is never once recorded that this actually came into existence. But do you know what? This is what God's heart is for us, and particularly for those who follow Him. The idea is, it's not about you. It's about, it's about Him, and it's about depending on Him and, and providing a world that um, he created, returning the world back to what he created, a, a land of plenty, a land of beauty, a land that cares about um, uh, the, 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 the health and well-being of others around you and creation itself. So if you haven't noticed as well, this, this reinforces again this mentality and this idea that this is what we're looking forward to. These years and these festivals and these days, it's like, okay, it reminds us about what came before, but it also reminds us about what we're supposed to be and what we're hoping for for the future. So much so that the prophets, when you read the books of the prophets, they 
when they would talk about the day of the Lord, the day that finally the Messiah would come, the promised one who's going to make everything right again. When they're talking about that day and looking forward to that day, they use the language of the Jubilee. They use the language of Sabbath. Um, And then comes along a guy called Jesus. And in Luke chapter 4, this is what happens from verse 14. He's just gotten out of the wilderness. He's just been tempted and trialed. And uh, this is what happens. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. This is Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the Jubilee. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And Jesus rolls up and he says, hey, you know this jubilee thing that we really haven't ever done and this Sabbath ideal that you're supposed, we're keeping, we're supposed to be keeping? Guess what? The year of jubilee without end, the Sabbath without end, it's arrived. It's fulfilled in me. I've come. And guess what? That, that would be like me saying, don't worry, I'm going to bring world peace. Like that's... The, that's the magnitude of what he's claiming here. Um, the idea that this is it. Everything is going to be put back right. God's going to have his kingdom again. It's, it's the beginning of the Sabbath without end. And I guess if you were in that crowd, and, and many who were in that crowd did not believe him, and in fact uh, they went on to say, hey, this is the carpenter's son, and like, you know, we knew this kid when he was growing up, and, oh, you know, and uh, then they chased him out of town, and they wanted to kill him and stuff. But uh, I guess, you know, this is the claim that Jesus makes about himself. The claim is that this God that you know who created the world, this God who uh, says, trust me, even in your moment of wilderness, who says, I'll provide for you, um, I'll set you free, I've, I've set you free, Take rest and comfort in that. Know that I will I have your back. Know that I have done everything for you. All you need is to trust me and belong to me. This is the guy who rolls around the scene. He says, I am he. I am the one who's bringing this. Um, and Jesus did a lot of controversial... If you read through the Gospels carefully, you'll see that Jesus did a lot of controversial things on specifically the Sabbath. He would heal and he would do all this stuff. And the, you, know what, you know what people would do? Because clearly here he's declaring, like, this is the Jubilee. Like, this is it. This is Sabbath without end. Everything that we do now is part of Sabbath. I've declared it. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. But, you know, when people see him, particularly the Pharisees, they see him heal people on the Sabbath. They see him just hanging out with his disciples and they grab a bit of corn to to eat or a bit of wheat to eat or whatever. Uh, You know what they do? They say, hey, what, what are you doing? You're not supposed to heal people on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to pick food on the Sabbath. And as with all things, sadly, in human history, when human people get involved, when humans get involved, we tend to corrupt it and distort it. And the thing that was supposed to bring liberty, the thing that was supposed to bring provision and joy, it becomes a thing that robs you of all of that. And Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and he says to them, 
um, uh, he uses an example from the Old Testament, and then he says, uh, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was made for man, not man made for the Sabbath. God provided this day for humanity to enjoy the rest and to enjoy the provision and goodness of God. Don't rob it of that. And that is who we are. That's who we're called to be, is to be people who live that way, who live in a way that we actually bring that rest and that provision and that joy to others. And um, uh, we're going to end with this in Hebrews chapter 4. And the author of Hebrews says, um, after they've just kind of like done a bit of a theological exegesis on, on the Sabbath, says in this, uh, this in verse 9, So then there, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This, this life is work, and it's work under the sun, it's work outside of Eden, it's work in a broken world. But this life uh, is also filled with these pockets of Eden, these pockets of Sabbath. And you know what? You're one of them. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. The Lord, God promises, Jesus promises, that when we trust Him, believe in Him, call Him our Lord and our Savior, He gives you His Spirit. Um, to live inside of you. So you become a pocket of that Eden. You become a pocket of Sabbath. And you experience that Sabbath here on earth. He gives you glimpses of what that looks like here on earth. But he also says that the Sabbath is the, the, the final Sabbath, the, the true, the, the real, the permeating Sabbath. That day will come. That day will come. And our job in between now and then is to keep remembering and living be people who are living the Sabbath every single day because the King has come. The Messiah has come. He's ushered in the year of Jubilee. It's a Sabbath without end. Live like it. Not because it's here fully yet, but because we're expecting it just around the corner. And again, I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know if that means you need to trust Him more. If you're a stress head and you're looking at your life and you think, I need to gather and collect and it's a, 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 a survivor's mentality, a slave mentality. Like, I need to provide for myself because nothing, you know, if I don't, no one is. And I need to push other people out of my way because I've got to get ahead. Or it might be that you just feel really oppressed by it all. You feel really, the daily grinds. The, the day-to-day um, struggle with what it looks like to live in this world that's out of Eden, that's a broken reality. Um, and all you see is the wilderness in front of you. And God says, rest, rest in me. I will provide for you. I will provide you liberty. Um, I don't know what it is that you need. I don't know if you just need to remember that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. It's not about following rules. It's not about making this mental checklist of what it looks like to be a good Christian and then... Uh, like miss the point altogether, you know. It's about literally saying to him, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. I find the Sabbath in him and not in my interpretation of what it looks like when I read the Bible or when I talk to people or whatever else and judge them or whatever. What is it that you need to respond to with God? We're just going to take a few moments to, to respond to him. So if we just could bow our heads and close our eyes. What's your reality? What are, what are your assumptions about this, this reality, this life um, that you have? About your work, studies, your relationships? What is it that you're trying to achieve?
Are you living in that Sabbath mentality? Are you living in that reality of God, which is that He's in control? Not only is He in control, but He's got good planned for you. He's got rest planned for you. He's got liberty planned for you. Are you going to let Him provide that for you? Are you going to keep trying to struggle and provide it for yourself? Are you going to define what's good, just like Adam and Eve did? Or are you going to let him define what is good? Dear Lord, we thank you for the time that we could spend together and um, in front of your word. We thank you, Lord, that it's always challenging and always um, uh, um, life-giving, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you care about us, that you went to the cross for us, that you've done everything for us, Lord, that even in the act of creation, Lord, that you carved out these moments of rest so that we would enjoy and that we would spend time with you and uh, that we would know what it is to look like to depend and trust you. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust you, that you are good. Um, And Lord, we just pray that you would change our hearts and our minds to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.